0: This is episode 539 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life, so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Patient Transport in Austere Settings. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, from time to time I get asked how people out there can help support what I'm doing in the preparedness community. And so the easiest thing you can do is to make your Amazon purchases through our link. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does give us a little financial blessing, a little percentage. It's already kind of baked into the overall price, right, that are set on, in Amazon. So you can really click on any Amazon link on any of the websites, on Prepper website, podcast.com, Ad That Matters, even top Prepper websites. You can go over there and click on that link. The easy, easiest thing to do would be to click on the link for episode 539, and then on the sidebar right there, you'll see it. So um, if that's, you know, if you're looking to support what I'm doing, that's one easy way you can do it. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. This article comes to us from doomandbloom.net. Yeah, that's right, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's website over there. This one is entitled Patient Transport in Austere Settings. Now, when someone is hurt right now, and even Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy will tell you to use modern medicine, call 911, you know, go to the emergency room, all of that kind of stuff, right? We we need to take advantage of that. But if you are in an emergency situation and the doctor or the nurses or 911, they're not coming, what do you do, right? And so Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy have really worked To get that kind of information out there, you know, they'll always preface what they do is, hey, this is for emergency situations, right? In a grid down situation or, you know, whatever, something along those lines. And so what if you were you found yourself in a grid down situation and a poop hit the fan situation and you needed to transport somebody out of that or you needed to move somebody from where you were maybe out in the woods to home or to a cabin or to you know a shelter of some, some of some sort or maybe even you were in the woods right and you were backpacking you were deep in there you had no way of communicating with other people how would you get your team members or whoever's there with you out right so this article and I'm gonna tell you right now there's a lot of pictures that you'll wanna come and check out because you get an idea of what they're talking about, right? You get, you get that visual, but it's also something you might want to try to go over with some people, right? So if you have some people that you get together with and you talk about preparedness, maybe you try out some of these and see about like really holding people and seeing if these really truly work. Because there's a lot of different options that Dr. Bones is going to give you in this article. But like I said, there's a lot of pictures. You'll want to check the pictures out and then you might want to, like I said, try them out because there's going to be some that are easier to do than others depending on, you know, how strong you are, your build, and then also the person that you're moving, right? So let's go ahead and jump into this article. Let me stop yapping and uh, there's a lot of good stuff here. So patient transport in austere settings. In normal times, your main goal upon encountering an injured or ill person is to transport them to a modern medical facility as soon as possible. In cases where there is a risk of spinal or neck trauma, you will read that the victim should not be moved until emergency personnel arrive. That's all well and good in situations when the ambulance is just a few minutes away, but what about when you've been knocked off the grid due to a disaster? Even in normal times, there are circumstances where a victim must be moved despite the risk. These mostly involve common sense judgments such as when there is an immediate danger from, say, a building on fire or in danger of collapse. When help is not on the way, however, you will have to decide whether your patient can or cannot be treated for their problem at their present location. If they cannot, you must consider how to move the victim safely. Now, before deciding whether to transport, a patient must be stabilized as much as possible. This means assuring open airways, controlling bleeding, splinting orthopedic injuries, treating hypothermia, and more. If you are unable to do this with the materials at hand, consider having a group member get the supplies needed to make transport safer. If possible, gather a team to assist you before you move the victim. Knowing the amount of help available allows you to choose a method of evacuation that will cause the least trauma to both patient and medic. So let's talk about moving the victim onto a stretcher. When moving a trauma patient, you should be concerned about the possibility of a spinal injury, especially if there is head or neck trauma, altered mental status, pain in the head or neck, weakness, numbness, or paralysis in the extremities, and loss of bladder control. A person with a possible spinal injury should be log rolled onto a stretcher, as a unit without bending their neck or back if at all possible. A cervical collar and supportive blocks with straps can be used to secure the spine of at-risk patients. An unstable neck, especially in an unconscious victim could easily be traumatized, even if not involved in the original trauma. Keep the head in alignment with the spine during transport. So if you have several helpers, transporting the patient is easier, but requires coordination. You as a medic will serve as leader of the transport team. This entails making sure the patient is transferred to the stretcher safely, but also that all team members lift and move at the same time. Simple prepare to lift, lift and March commands should suffice to get everyone on the same page to move a patient onto a stretcher. The medic positions the casualty next to it on his back with his arms at his side. Then, one helper slips his arms under the casualty's back and waist and another helper does the same under the hip and knees. Your job is to support the head in alignment with the spine throughout. Upon your command, the team lifts and places the victim on the stretcher. An alternative would be to have two helpers log roll the patient on their side facing them rather than lift. You will then slip the stretcher underneath. For this, the casualty's arms are placed across their chest. All right, guys. So you can see how important it would be to to do this correctly if there was trauma to the the spine, right? And so doing that, man, you can just kind of imagine how hard that would be doing that without the proper, well, first of all, not being professionals, right? And doing it on a regular basis with the proper medical supplies and then not having the the proper medical supplies and doing that. Um, that would be really, really tough. All right, so getting back to base. In normal times you have the luxury of emergency medical personnel, gurneys, and ambulance to move a victim. Without these resources, transport is more difficult. Despite this, there are a number of methods available to move the injured patient back to camp. These include many commercially available litter systems, but stretchers can be improvised with a little ingenuity even without one, there still exist ways that will allow one, two, or more to achieve their transport goal. So transport using materials at hand. In austere settings, an injury will likely occur without a commercially made stretcher readily available. However, abandoned residential buildings in urban or rural settings will contain a number of found materials that can serve the purpose. An inside door, blankets, or even a sturdy ironing board may be options. All of these can function as a litter or backboard as long as enough helpers are present to stabilize the victim. So while certifying as AWEPSs or Advanced Wilderness Expedition Providers, demonstrations of effective transport using folded over blankets, sticks, and rope or paracord showed that many household items can be used to serve as handholds, and to prevent hanging extremities. Indeed, these items can, in and of themselves, become stretchers. So another example of an easily found item in an abandoned building is a chair. If you have a conscious casualty, a sturdy chair can be used by itself as a reasonable litter. In this method, the patient sits or is placed on the chair. One transporter stands in back of the chair grasping it from the sides and tilting it back. The second transporter grasps the chair legs in front and both lift using their legs. For short distances, the second transporter can face the victim, but it would be easier for longer distances to face forward. And again, guys, like I said, there's a lot of pictures here. There's even one using that chair as a stretcher to give you an idea of what it looks like. And if the person is conscious and they don't have a spinal injury, That definitely is one of those options. So let's move to a four-person or more blanket stretcher. Even if there is no backboard, having a blanket and or sturdy poncho in your backpack can help move a casualty. Simply place the victim on the stretched out blanket and then roll the sides inward to form handholds to lift and carry. Remember to stabilize the victim's head and neck. So what about a two-person blanket stretcher? With fewer assistance, you'll need some additional support. If you have two long poles or sticks about six or seven feet long and two inches or thicker, you can make a litter by placing the sticks so that the blanket is divided into thirds, fold one of the outer thirds over the sticks. And then the outer, the other outer third over the other stick. So what about the jacket stretcher? The jacket stretcher is a variation of this method. You'll need two button jackets or shirts, preferably still on the rescuers. While the first transporter is grasping the little poles, a second pulls the first garment off inside out. The jacket automatically moves onto the poles, forming a bed for the stretcher. The transporters then reverse roles with the second jacket. It should be noted that this method should only be used if the weather is such that rescuers can tolerate the loss of the clothing items during transport. All right, so I really don't I'll just be honest. I don't understand why someone has to why you have to put it on the stretcher or on the poles as you're taking it off. So there's a picture of people doing this. I'm like, why can't you just take it off and kind of button it back up or whatever? I don't know. So there might be a reason why on that one. So what about if you're all by yourself, right? So the one person blanket pole, Sometimes you might find yourself alone with the victim and can't wait for help to move him. In this case, the blanket can be placed under the patient. Grasp the blanket at one end with both hands and position your forearms to cradle the head. Use your legs to pull instead of your back to avoid injury. Alternatively, you can drag the victim out by the shoulders of their shirt or jacket. Grasp the back of the clothing under the shoulders and use your legs to pull. If done correctly, your forearm should be cradling the head. What about transporting using no materials? There are circumstances where you might have absolutely nothing at your disposal to help evacuate a patient other than your own muscles. Here are methods to transport a patient without any equipment. A three-person team or more, with a number of assistants, you can form hammock that will make for easier lifting and transport. In this method, rescuers kneel on both sides of the victims. You'll reach under the victim to grasp the wrist, wrist of the person across from you. Upon command, rescuers will get on one knee and then stand. Sometimes you might have to get a patient onto a higher level than a stretcher on the ground, such as a gurney or an operating table. For this purpose, the three-person carry is useful to lift a victim for short distances the transporters on one knee roll the patient to his side facing them. He is then lifted onto their knees and the team stands on command. The casualty is held on the transporters chest and they are all, they all start to evacuate using the same foot. All right, guys, again, you got to check out these pictures. So what about two persons? When it's you and one assistant, you have a number of options. All versions start with a transporter squatting on either side of the victim using their legs to lift instead of their backs. You can make a four-handed seat with interlocked wrists if your casualty is conscious and can hold on to your shoulders. With all four wrists interlocked in a square, a wider more stable seat is formed. If one of the rescuers needs a free hand, three wrists can form a triangular seat. Now the two-handed seat is meant to provide a seat with a A back for victims that might be less alert. Each rescuer interlocks one wrist to form the seat and uses the other arms to grasp his partner's far shoulder. This forms the back support. Another two person lift is the crutch method. For the conscious victim, this carry allows the victim to walk using the rescuers as part of crutches. Each rescuer grabs a wrist and puts the crook of the arm on the back of their neck. And over the shoulder with the other arm around the victim's waist, the victim can then stand with assistance. If unconscious, the waistband or belt can be pulled to help lift the casualty, with their legs dragging behind as you move. All right, guys. So that is that. The two-person crutch. That's the one where you usually see someone that you know. They're under your or their arm is on the back of their neck, right? And so that's the way, that's usually the one that you see there. So just FYI on that one. All right, so a couple more here. The fore and aft technique can serve effectively as a long distance transport method for conscious or unconscious victims. The first rescuer from behind puts his arms around the shoulder of a victim lying on his back and locks his hands around the chest. The second rescuer facing front towards the feet of the victim Uses both arms to grasp underneath each knee. It's more comfortable if the taller transporter is at the patient's head. And then, what about if you are just one person, right? So, there are situations where it's just you, there's no equipment, and you have to evacuate a patient. If you are all alone with the patient, the fireman's carry is effective and keeps the victim's torso relatively level and stable. To achieve this maneuver, while squatting or kneeling, grasp the person's right wrist with your left hand and drape it over your shoulders. Keeping your back straight, place your right hand between their legs and around the right thigh, using your leg muscles to lift, rise up. You should end up with their torso over your back and the right thigh resting over your right shoulder. Their left arm and leg will hang behind your back if you've done it correctly. Adjust so as to cause the least strain. And then another option when you are the lone rescuer is the pack strap carry. With your patient behind you, grasp both arms and cross them across your chest. If squatting, keep your back straight and use your legs and back muscles to lift the victim. Bend slightly so that the person's weight is on your hips and lift them off the ground. All right. So let me just stop there real quick before I I read the last two paragraphs. Uh, I just wanted to, I was reminded as I was talking about those one person carries, there's a video every so often it pops up that, you know, you'll see it on Facebook or whatever, that uh, I guess there's a group of guys, they're maybe like on a football field or a soccer field or something along those lines, a bunch of guys, and some of them have camo and whatever. And I guess it's a maybe a training. I don't know what it is exactly, but one of the guys, and it looks like he's the instructor, has someone laying down on the ground, and he does this roll on top of them where he jumps up, and he, he's got the guy on the back, kind of like the fireman's carry, and so this is the first, well, actually, the first time he does it, he, he doesn't pull it off for whatever reason, and the guy's a big guy, right? The Actually, the guy who he's carrying is about his same size he's not he didn't pick like somebody easy you know a small person in the in the crowd to do this but the second time he does it he pulls it off and man it it works really well now of course if the guy's injured if uh, of course they have a spinal injury you're not doing that but I would assume like if you're by yourself the hardest thing that's going to happen if you're in this situation is getting up right and so that carry that, that I'm mentioning in the video you're using momentum to, uh, to roll over the person to grasp the, you know, the things that you need to grasp. And there's like, part of it is like their, their leg and their wrist or whatever. And then with momentum, you, you know, you pop up, right. But if you're on your own and you don't know that maneuver, and I don't know how many people actually would pull that one off without a lot of practice, your biggest thing is going to be having to you know, get up, you know, carrying this person and having to use your legs, which is stronger uh, muscles and using those to lift yourself up while you carry this person. Of course, once you get them up, it's going to be a little easier, but you're still going to have to have that, uh, that strength, right? And so if you've been hiking or you've been, I mean, you're weak or whatever, you haven't been eating a lot, you're on a stressful bug out, whatever it might be, I mean, that's one of those things, all those things you have to consider. All right, so let me go ahead and end it here, and then I have, or end it in the, the article, and then I just have another thought here at the very end. So certainly carrying injured victims long distances is an obvious recipe for injury to the medics themselves. Therefore, it's important to remember this simple acronym when pulling or carrying a person. Back. B-A-C-K. Back straight muscles and discs can handle more weight safely when the back is straight avoid twisting joints can be damaged when twisting close to body avoid reaching to pick up a load it causes more strain on muscles and joints and keep stable the more rotation and jerking the more pressure on the discs and muscles and guys that's all for the person or the medic the person who's doing the carrying so that's pretty cool back if you can remember that Back straight, avoid twisting close to the body, and keep stable. All right, so that's it for this article. Just add a a thought here, right? So, if you are someone that is going to be bugging out, or you are hiking or backpacking or whatever, and you are going with just one other person, right? And you are in a situation where you cannot communicate you don't have a radio you don't have a cell phone whatever that might be maybe you know maybe it's grid down maybe you're too far out for communications whatever it might be one of the things you're gonna in, in if you're in a situation where you can't transport someone you're gonna need to be able to get that person to a place where they would be safe right and hopefully you could go back for help from someone so if that meant you know Knowing a little bit of first aid and medical, I mean, everybody should know that, right? So if they're conscious, like, hey, I'm going to have to leave you or they're injuries where they're bleeding out or anything like that, you're know, you leaving them with water, you're leaving with them with food, maybe you're leaving them with, uh, maybe they can move a little bit, right? Maybe they like hurt their ankle or broke their foot or whatever, but maybe you're leaving them with a fire going and as much firewood as you can gather for them. And, and you know, that kind of thing, So you would possibly have to move them out of the way, maybe build some kind of shelter for them and then go back and get help if you just cannot do it yourself. Maybe you're just not that strong. Maybe, you know, you just you just can't do it. Right. And so that's going to be the thought process. Right. And the other thing is, like, if you're going long distances, is there other things that you need to add to your skill set, like knowing how to you know, use a map and a compass, right? Doing all that kind of stuff. If you are someone who is always doing that, going out there and you are relying on other people, that's a skill really that you need to learn. If you always rely on GPS, then you need to be able to do some of this stuff by hand using, you know, going old school with a map and a compass and, and doing some, uh, learning some orienteering skills, right? Uh, man that's just been so long long ago there talking about boy scouts but you know bringing some of those skills into play and then being able to get back to people remembering where you left this person and all that kind of stuff so there could be a possibility when we're talking about this kind of situation where the person who is injured would have to stay there and you would have to go find help right and so it might be that you stay with them until they get stable if that's the possibility who knows, but knowing some first aid. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of other skills, right? That go into it. And if you are planning a bug out, if you're someone that goes hiking, there's more than just having the right shoes, right? Or the right backpack that you need to learn. And part of this is, I mean, part of even, you know, carrying people out and and knowing some of these, these ways, that's part of it as well. Well, everyone, that's it for this article from doomandbloom.net. Remember, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I highly recommend you come check it out. Click on the link, come check it out, and come look at some of these pictures just to get a visual inside of your head. And that's it for episode 539. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes especially my email list. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.